Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we'll be speaking to college and university leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of higher education and picking their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, the Evolution's Editor-in-Chief, Ahmed Alawalia, speaks with Mark Luba, who is Vice President of Product Management at IMS Global Learning Consortium. We talked to Mark about the current state of credentialing in higher ed and how to be innovative to grow success at your institution. Let's get into it. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us for uh, today's episode of Illumination by Modern Campus. Thank you, Amrit. Appreciate being here. Absolutely. Well, I mean, to start off right at the top, obviously, you're an expert in the field of credentialing. It's an area that IMS Global has a massive amount of of focus on. How would you describe the current state of credentialing in in the post-secondary space? There is a lot of positive momentum in higher ed, uh, but also in K-12, in community uh, type credentialing, as well as corporate. So I would say that uh, overall, it's on fire. You know, the timing the time for this, the digital credentials, we think couldn't be better. The disruption of the pandemic, pressure on colleges for proof points of their value, and, and the pace of change in the workforce all points in the direction of improved credentials, and digital credentials are the ideal solution. But, you know, as far as maturity goes, I'd say we're in the teenage years. There's a lot of enthusiasm and optimism but also some uncertainty about how to proceed. And the emphasis on discrete skills and smaller units of credentials is an unfamiliar area for many program leaders. And and so we've come a long way in the last few years, but there's still quite a good distance to go. So I I want to dive into that a little bit because it's interesting that you framed this as kind of the adolescent period for alternative or innovative credentialing. What are some of the advantages of where we are today as it relates to this sort of period of growth and innovation in the credential space? Well, you know, the historic critique of, let's say, a transcript, a college transcript or a degree, is that you can't actually understand what the learner knows and can do. Mm-hmm. So the ability of these smaller units of credentials, alternative credentials, you call them, allows for the institution to create much more specific units of credentialing that actually reflect the learning outcomes and the skills that the learner has been able to demonstrate. And then these skills can be aligned to in-demand job opportunities that are being published increasingly on the open web. And of course, with IMS, what we do is provide the foundational standards that make that those connections possible. Absolutely. And, and to, to that point of standards, I mean, I think this is where the rubber is kind of hitting the road in the credentialing space right now. You know, I think it's, it's Credential Engine came out with their, their annual report. There's something like a million different post-secondary credentials currently available on the market. What does that do to, I guess, the, the broader perception of the value or rigor of these credentials when there is uncertainty around sort of what's behind them? And to be fair, I mean, the degree itself, as as you've alluded to, acts as a signal. It's a very opaque structure, but it's it's a signal of of broad competency, of broad technical skills, of soft skills. So, you know, an employer or or a learner might make an assumption about the skills that they believe they have based on, you know, here's this piece of paper from an accredited institution. As we shift into this model that's broadly unaccredited, 
what are some of the downsides to, to the sheer number of credentials that, that are available in the marketplace? Well, of course, you know, potential confusion is, is a natural assumption that we can make. But, you know, Credential Engine, you mentioned, they're, they're working hard to try to bring some clarity there. Transparency is their big thing. And they're providing uh, search tools that allow for individuals and institutions to be able to identify their particular needs. So they're helping it, it very much in that respect. But, you know, the issue of sheer volume, I'm not sure is as big a problem as one might think. At the end of the day, reputation still matters tremendously. And not only the reputation of the institution, but also the reputation of their program. The high quality programs that are aligned with in-demand skills bubble to the top and they get known from the consuming public. Absolutely. And you, you made a great point as well about the work that IMS is doing to create standard to create some consistency and some common understanding around, you know, what constitutes various tiers of, of credential. What goes into that work? I mean, what does it take to, to create standards in a space that's almost been launched out of a defiance of the standards that usually surround credentialing? Well, it certainly is rooted in innovation, to your point. So the work that we're doing uh, definitely is part of a, a movement of innovation, perhaps toward in the area of competency-based education. Um, but we're a member organization. So um, what we do in the staff, for example, are we coordinate the interests and the desires of our membership. And we work together to harvest their requirements and convert them into needs, which ultimately become standards for the technology community to adopt so that we can all have interoperability. And these learner records that are produced by institutions across the world can all be shared with virtually any recipient, including, of course, employers. So what's involved is a lot of hard work. IMS has been after this now for six plus years, and our members have been dedicated a lot of their time towards the formation of this work, working with partners, partners like ACRO, um, CBEN, CALE a number of other organizations that we work with. And so we go through the, the process of defining exactly what is involved in creating these interoperable signals of achievement. I'm interested as well in, in the question of employer engagement. I think we're increasingly seeing at the very high tier of companies, right? The, the ones that are constantly in the public face around great hiring practices, the Googles, the IBMs, these organizations starting to move away from the idea of a degree as a signal. But I'd say in sort of the mid-tier majority, there's still a perception that these employers look primarily to the degree as that signal of, of competency and a structure. And, and I know from, frankly, the, the evolution contributor base, that one of the concerns that comes up about sort of alternative credentialing, micro-credentialing, innovative credentialing in general, is this question of, you know, do employers understand what it means? So where are we today in terms of employer and industry understanding of non-degree credentials? IMS and our affiliated organization, One EdTech, we're actually sponsoring a, a project to help bring this more light to this whole subject. The initiative is called Wellspring. And actually in our upcoming Digital Credentials Summit, we'll be providing a lot of outcomes from that project. But Wellspring includes research that we're sponsoring, thanks to the funding of the Walmart Foundation and the Charles Koch Foundation, 
learn about employer perceptions and their knowledge of digital credentials and skills in the course of hiring as well as upskilling their current employees. So we're very actively engaged in trying to understand uh, the employer market. But at the same time, we're also developing demonstration software to show employers how these digital credentials can be used in a job application, in a talent search and discovery model across the open internet, you know, with the cooperation, of course, with the, uh, from the learner and institutions to protect privacy and security. But these digital credentials can be a very valuable resource that can be decomposed and used in machine-based algorithms to identify the best candidate for a particular job based on the alignment of their skills, the programs they've taken in, in their institutions, and the industry um, skills that, that are required. So we're deeply in, in the center of these types of efforts to develop examples that we can share with the employment community as we continue to recruit them, basically. As a matter of fact, in the upcoming Digital Credentials Summit, we have a track dedicated to corporate upskilling and reskilling, and another track that's dedicated to the bridge between curriculum design and employability skill. So we're very, very much focused on bringing together educators and lawyers. Absolutely. Well, on the topic of the Digital Credentials Summit, and I, I was fortunate enough to speak at the 2021 iteration, very excited for, for next year's iteration. Obviously, credentialing is taking on so much energy in our space. Can we start off just by talking a little bit about the history of the event? I mean, where did the Digital Credentials Summit come from? Why was it something that you guys wanted to host? 2015, I started to do serious evaluation of competency-based education. And I was involved in a research project that identified interoperability barriers to the uh, progression of CBE. And one of those barriers incorporated the fact that multiple types of transcripts were going to be needed, which pointed, of course, to digital transcripts at the time as it was envisioned. And there were some other barriers that we started to really focus on and rally our members around. Our first involvement was actually with the open badges because we recognize that as a a very important contributing component to this whole question of of digital recognition of skills. And so we organized a member-based task force to begin suggesting enhancements to the open badge standard. And those enhancements were focused on things like assessments, focused on things like accreditation status of the issuing organization, those types of things that would have more of an appeal to a a traditional educator. And we began building a relationship, frankly, with the Mozilla Foundation. And they asked our CEO, Rob Abel, to become a board member in, in their steering group. And over a period of a year or so, they decided that they wanted IMS to actually lead the final, the remaining work for Open Badges and to take over the publication and the development of that, which we were proud to do uh, beginning in 2017. We actually looked hard and remembering back against uh, to this idea of the transcript from the Competency-Based Education Network, we actually tried to figure out a way for Open Badges to be the future transcript and uh, determine after a while that something more was needed 
that badges was part of the solution, but there was this also this entity that's now called the Comprehensive Learner Record. And it's that combination of open badges and the Comprehensive Learner Record that actually form the basis for the digital credentials portfolio currently being um, rolled out in uh, dozens of organizations uh, right now and the basis of our uh, experimental projects that we're running. There's a, a question that I'm, I'm really struggling with, this concept of how we reconcile the philosophy of, of the open badges against the movement toward creating sort of standardization, accreditation practices, assessment practices around the, the distributing and issuing of, of digital credentials and badges. Because the open badges concept came from the idea of how can we credential with sort of minimal barrier? And then as an industry, we've started to create increasing barriers. Now, I'm not coming down on one side or the other. I, I guess personally, I believe that credentials should have clear rigor, clear assessment behind them to generate value. But that seems to fly in the face of the philosophy that led to the open badges in the first place. So how do you reconcile that, especially since IMS Global came out of the, the Mozilla open badges initiative and, and sort of took over from open badges in the space? Yeah. You know, it's true that an organization can issue a badge for a, a modest uh, recognition of some event or some concept that they choose to do. But that fact we don't see as taking away from the value of the rich data that can be incorporated in that badge if it's actually being used to represent what you may think of as a validated instructional unit. You know, whether it's an, an assessment or course completion or skill demonstration with appropriate uh, rubrics uh, related assessment, you can really pack that open badge with very, very high quality information. So I would not you know, confuse the fact that you may have organizations or that have a lower bar and you have other organizations that have a very high bar of quality and rigor. We're in that, in that second camp in terms of our membership, and one doesn't take away from the other. That's fair. I think that's more than reasonable. So when you look at the state of credentialing at the institutional level today, I mean, what are some of the obstacles that you see higher ed institutions facing when it comes to sort of launching and scaling credentialing initiatives? We're at such a great position because we're in the middle of institutions and tech providers that are you know, now applying this new ground, I mean, plowing this new ground. This is terrifically illuminating what we're finding. You know, Our members are innovators, they're technology providers, and they're keeping us on our toes, but exposing us to the, all the good and, and all the bads. I would say that the three barriers that I would uh, wanna point out, the, the first I call departmentalism. This is the idea that you know, your program is, contained in a isolated unit of some kind. We think that to be successful with a credentialing program, the entire enterprise has to be involved at some level, mostly to help manage the inevitable change that's needed to institute a truly learner-centered program. Um, you're going to need strong support from the top in order to affect change. And change is a necessary part of many, many of these programs. Um, so uh, avoid departmentalism would be my advice there. And this, the second barrier that's 
present, but less so now, is what I think of as the appearance of complexity. Digital credentials or skills frameworks themselves are not complex. Actually, the open standards are elegant in their simplicity, but uh, there are some market participants who can confuse things by making them sound more complex than they are, or by using different terminology for the sake of being different. Just be aware of that and have some confidence that you and your team will be able to understand at the end of the day, all of the, all that you need in order to drive an, you know, a high quality program. But this concept of complexity is counterproductive. And, and the final barrier I call the silver bullet syndrome. And that is a belief that a successful credentials ecosystem is primarily a technology problem, which it is not. You know, the secret for these programs is sound teaching, learning, and assessment practice. Of course, can be made more efficient and more accessible through technology, uh, but the institution's culture and their program design are really the keys to launching and scaling a successful skills-based credentials program, not the technology. I love that. It's so common that folks look at technology as, as a solution in and of itself, when really it's Technology is a driver for executing on a strategic vision. Technology is one tactic of many, and and not to take away from the the importance of technology, but without that strategic grounding, the technology is just another tool in in your arsenal. It doesn't do much more. I'm curious as to, I guess, a few examples that, that you're seeing of initiatives that are really doing a great job of bringing multiple people together towards creating these integrative movements towards uh, great credentialing. I mean, you mentioned, you know, not operating in a silo as one of the best practices that folks should should be executing on, which, you know, easier said than done. But uh, yeah, I'm just wondering if you have an example of, of someone that, that you see is, is doing a great job there. I'm bound to not mention literally dozens of potential great uh, jobs. One organization that for me stands out in terms of the quality of the work they've done and how they've actually mustered the executive support is Wichita State University. They've done a terrific job. They have a a very impactful program that um, I think started at not for credit, but is actually moving in the direction of for credit, stackable credentials. Uh, They're really uh, serving their constituency well. And uh, that is an organization that has done it right. Absolutely worth circling back around on for anyone who's who's interested. I'm assuming this is the kind of thing that people can expect from, from the Digital Credential Summit for 2022. Examples, ideas. What are you looking forward to? What, what do you think folks should be looking forward to from this upcoming uh, Digital Credential Summit? Well, I'm looking forward to being in person. Uh, again. <laughs> um, first and foremost. We'll be back in Atlanta. And the last time we were together was 2019 or 2020, excuse me. So in 2022, looking forward to shaking your hand personally and, and others, many, many others. So that, that's not number one. The program is a heck of a program. Just let me mention the dates. It's February 28th through March 2nd. It's in Atlanta, Georgia, and, and your listeners and your readers can go to imsglobal.org and see a banner, which we'll be talking about it. But there's four tracks, and uh, the tracks represent really the continuum of learning into employment, and it involves things like curriculum design for skills, 
uh, partnerships, regional partnerships, vertical partnerships, um, uh, employer um, programs and uh, employer-based partnerships, as well as information about our Wellspring initiative, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, where we're creating demonstrations of how these ecosystems can all work. We're, we're very excited. Paul LeBlanc, the president of Southern New Hampshire University, will be opening the program. I think he'll be sharing key messages from his new book, Students First. We have uh, leaders from uh, SHRM, the Society for HR Management, Kale, the Council of Adult and Experiential Learning, leaders from AAC&U, ACRO, the Registrar's Organization, CBEN. They'll all be there to lend their support and lend their voice to the digital credentials and skills movement. So it's really a, a terrific annual event. This is a sixth annual uh, version, and we couldn't be happier with the, the program we put together. The special part, of course, is not only networking with your peers and connecting with others that are doing uh, what you're doing or perhaps a little further ahead than you or maybe uh, uh, behind you, so the opportunity to really establish great connections with your peers, but also to meet the, the leaders of the world's technology in these products. So all of the technology platforms that are involved in this space are going to be there as it relates to open badges, to the comprehensive learner record, and also to CASE, which is a standard used to publish skills in a machine-readable format. Absolutely. Well, Mark, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this year's summit. For anyone, again, who is interested in learning more about the Digital Credentials Summit, please do visit the IMS Global website, imsglobal.org, to learn more about the Digital Credentials Summit that's coming up. And uh, on the evolution, we'll be running interviews with some of the folks who'll be presenting it at next year's conference in the lead up. So you'll be able to get uh, the inside scoop on, you know, some of the topics that'll be discussed. Mark, it's always a pleasure chatting with you, my friend. Thanks so much. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, presidents and provosts can work with Modern Campus to create pathways for lifelong learners while marketing and IT can deliver Amazon-like personalization and instant fulfillment. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of today's modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.